0: Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader, Anthony Crudelli, sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli.
1: What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Larry Tentarelli. Futures Radio Show was sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit trader.cMegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn more about some of the great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Now today I spoke with full-time trader and publisher of the Blue Chip Daily Trend Report, Larry Tanarelli. Larry was on the podcast a few years ago so I highly recommend you check out that podcast following this show to learn a bit more about Larry and his backstory. You can find a link to that podcast in this show's post on our website. In today's show we chatted about what Larry has done over the past few years to get better. Let's face it everybody we're always looking to get better as traders so I was curious as to what Larry's been working on to improve his trading. He shares with us his two main strategies, trading pullbacks and breakouts. We discussed why both of us scale out of trades. He explains why he considers himself a rules-based trend follower. And last but not least, how Larry went away from the traditional way of being a trend follower and made his trend-following strategy personal to him. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Larry. LT, it's been three years since we last spoke on the show. In that last interview, we talked a lot about your style of trading, which is trend following. Are things still the same for you, or have you made any changes to your trading style?
0: Anthony, good morning. It's it's great to speak to you again. I can't believe it's been three years. That's that's amazing. So yeah, what's what's changed for me is I've I've gotten more evolved, I think, in my my mindset, and my approach to the market. So I've been uh, trading a trend-following style for years, but I, I would also, from from time to time, I might take a swing trade that fit into what my technical process is or from time to time, if I would see a stock that would come up and maybe it didn't fit exactly into my trend-following model, but I still saw the technicals, I would take that trade. And And what I've learned to do, especially over the past couple years, is just dial even all of that back. Pretty much I just trade. I've got two really key uh, processes that I trade. And and other than that, I just don't deviate from it. And it's made things a lot simpler for me. And it's really increased my results. I'm I'm just kind of sticking to those two ideas.
1: Also during that time, I saw on Twitter you passed the Series 65. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Yes, yes, I'm, I'm very proud about that. I, I passed the Series 65 to get my state securities license, and that was important to me. I, I don't have any plans to venture out and to manage money or anything like that, but I, I do have the website, and I just wanted to be sure that I was I was up to date and fully licensed on all the rules and regulations and laws, and it was, it was a really uh, nice accomplishment, and I'm, I'm proud that I achieved it.
1: Yeah, congratulations, my friend. Thank you. Let's talk about your process. I remember when we spoke last, a big thing for you was simplifying it. And I'm sure that over these last three years, you probably tried to continue to simplify your process. I know that for me and my trading, each and every year, I actually try to trade a little bit less um, and try to get more, I would say a stronger hand in the market. Talk to us about some of the things that you specifically that you've done to your process to either simplify it or, or anything for that matter to help you become a better trader over the last few years?
0: That That's a good question. And really what I've done is is I've tried to dial things back and narrow things down. So to give you an idea, when, when I set up the new website, what I wanted to do is I wanted to, and this is for myself, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to have some type of a consistent process. So what I've done is I've narrowed down my basket. My my core market, I've got 30 ETFs that I track. And I think there's maybe, I don't know, there's a couple hundred ETFs that are out there. But I've, I've dialed it down to the top 30 for myself. And then I've really focused in on a large cap stock. So I think in large caps, there's probably 720 or so that are over $10 billion in market cap. And, and what would happen is a couple of years ago, like I'd, I'd see, let's call it a $500 million solar stock start to pop up on my screen. And I'd say, oh, you know, that looks good. It fits the process. Let's take that. And then I wouldn't have a position in something like Microsoft or something like Google or, you know, or JP Morgan. And then what would happen is I'd wake up one day and the solar stock would be down 25%. And I'd ask myself, you know, why am I chasing this stuff when my core market is, is JP Morgan? You know, I should have been in that, not this. So what I've really tried to do is greatly reduce the amount of markets and stocks and ETFs that I look at. And then I've dialed it down. I, I've really got two key signals that I use. That's it. I've taken some other indicators that I used to use off my charts. I've taken some other screeners, you know, out of my screening process and and really just tried to get, you know, in the perfect world, if I had one chart and one signal that I traded, I think that would be ideal. But the two that I use have been so uh, consistently profitable for me that I, I just stay with these two.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing about trend followers that I always look at and and ask them is, how do you choose which markets to trade? Because there's you could really have so many markets out there that are potentially qualifying for a trade through your strategy. How do you allocate to each ones? How do you know which ones are the ones you maybe should be more aggressive in or less aggressive? And it sounds to me as though you've just narrowed it down to, a set of markets that you feel the best about or, or why why those markets?
0: I, I gravitate I gravitate towards the bigger names. So some people do like to go towards names that are off the radar screen but I like to gravitate towards the really high volume, the institutional names, uh, you know the apples and the general electrics and, and the AMDs of the world I when, when I fire up the new 52 week high screener which is one of my core One of my core signals is the breakout. I like to see my names at the top of of the the high volume list. And that's just something that that person, I think I've always gravitated towards. I'm not sure why, but I do. I just like, I like to be in the big high volume names. I I may have gotten that. One of my biggest influences is Jesse Livermore and his book. And one of the concepts that he talked about, and, and it wasn't, he didn't write the book. It was his unofficial story. But one of the things that he talked about, is you have to be in the leading names of the day. And and that's where you want to gravitate. And that's, you know, to me, the high volume, the large caps and the mega caps, those are the leaders and that's where I want to be.
1: You said you've narrowed it down to two strategies. What are they?
0: Pullbacks and breakouts. And, and that sounds pretty, pretty simplified. But my two key strategies, I focus on either a breakout to a new high or a breakout over the 200-day moving average or – a pullback and a longer term uptrend. So what I found is that with those two, sometimes I won't catch the breakout in a name, but I'll catch the pullback. And then sometimes I won't catch the pullback, but I'll catch the breakout. So I found that between those two, it it allows me to, uh, to really get dialed in.
1: Because you like the big names, are you long only or are you trading them on both sides?
0: What happens is I only trade one side at a time. So in an uptrend or or a bull market like we've got right now, I'm going to only take trades from the long side. Now, for some reason, if the markets start to roll over and break down and if the indices and the leaders that I follow, if they start to go into a downtrend below the 200 day, then I will look to take trades on the short side. But I only trade whatever the primary trend is for my time frame.
1: Okay, you said your two strategies are breakouts and pullbacks. I'd like to go over a recent trade scenario for each one, uh, if you could. Give us your favorite one. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with a breakout. Talk to us about what you saw on the chart, and then talk to us about how you executed that trade and from everything from. The stop to where you're looking for your targets? Are you scaling in, scaling out, how all of that worked?
0: Okay, that that's a good question. So one of the key names, we'll take a look at NVIDIA. And I got into NVIDIA a couple months ago, it was about 196. And I don't have the chart in front of me, so I'm just doing this from memory, but it, it traded it was in a range of about one, I don't know, 175 to about 192. And then it finally broke above that range that it was in for a few months so so what i did was i took the breakout now what i do and this is a key change also that i've made over the past couple years i used to base my stops on volatility so i used to use average true range and and a lot of trend followers and technical traders use that but what i found with atr is my stops were too tight and I got stopped out of a lot of positions too soon, or I'd have a lopsided position where one one stock might have three times as much capital in it as another stock. So what I did is I changed my my stops to a fixed percentage. So I run either 10%, 12%, or 15% based on the overall volatility of the stock. And off the top of my head in NVIDIA, I ran a 12% stop. So I bought the breakout above 192 I think I caught it right about 196, and I think today it's about 250 or so. I did actually scale a little piece out of it yesterday, right about 250. But that was a, uh, you know, that was a, a classic breakout trade. And then as far as a pullback, so Shopify has been one of my favorite stocks over the past year or so, and I actually bought the uh, pullback in Shopify. So I had it in the summertime. I made some nice money in it. And then all these momentum tech stocks started to unwind. And Shopify went from about 409 down to about 282, maybe in a a three-month window or so. So what it did, it came right down to the 200-day, and then it started to go back up. And and I took it right as soon as it cleared the 50-day moving average. So I basically bought the pullback from 409 down to 318. And as soon as it cleared that 50-day, then to me, that was the signal I needed to see that that pullback may have run its course. And I bought that, I think that was uh, middle of November. I posted it, I post all my trades on Twitter. And that was 3.18, middle of November, and I think today it's about 4.40 or something like that. So that was a classic pullback trade.
1: How do you allocate your account, to each one of these positions? Are all of the positions the same size, uh, contract size, um, percentage? How does all of that work?
0: That's, so that's based on, on a couple of factors. The key thing is I look at overall market conditions. So in an ETF, I will go uh, much larger. So the average stock for a, a single stock position, I'll generally start that somewhere 4 to 5%. Of assets. So I run 50 basis points of risk per position. So if I get stopped out, it costs me half a percent of equity. So if I take a, if I take a, a stock with a 10% stop, it's going to give me about 5% of assets in that position. If I've got a 12% stop, I'll have about 4% of my assets in that one position. In ETFs though, so a, a starting ETF position in the market now, which is a nice trend, I'll start with about 10% in an ETF. But when we get into volatile markets, so last uh, October of 2018, I had 70% of my account short, just in triple Q. And then once we came into that December low, and and I posted this online, because I was mostly shorter in cash, at that point, I went to 60% long in SPY. So in in a very volatile uh, market condition, I'll go pretty big into just an index ETF. But for the most part, generally 4 to 5% per stock and about 10% in an ETF.
1: Hey, everybody. A quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small-cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the e-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures Contract, symbol R-T-Y. For more information on Footsie Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com. You mentioned that you scaled out of one of your positions. I can't remember, are you, have you always been scaling in or out of your positions, or is it something new? And also, what's the reason for you to take a scale off? Is there a technical reason at some point? Is it a dollar amount that you've made or even lost on a position? What triggers a scale?
0: That's, that's a really good question. Uh, and, I, and I've got to tell you, Anthony, you, I just want to compliment you. You ask some really, really good questions and I appreciate that. So scaling is, is another part of my evolutionary process. And this is something that started probably two years ago. And, and what I constantly look to do is I'm always looking to refine my process. And, and what I do is I analyze my, my trades. And I say, OK, you know, what do I feel that I could do better here or what do I feel would in- increase my returns or reduce my volatility? And and what I found with traditional trend following is the very old school trend following is you get a signal, you take a position, you ride it. And then when you get a reversal signal, you close out your position. One of the drawbacks that I experienced with that, and, and it's not that it's a drawback with trend following per se, but the, an issue that I ran into is I'd wind up having these big winners, and then by the time I would get the reversal signal, I'd wind up giving back 30 or 40% of the move, and, and that wasn't something that I was happy with. So what I what I started to do, and I used the same uh, technical indicators. I really don't go into the indicators, but what I started to do is I put together a rule where if I'm in a position and it goes up 20%, then there's a there's a chance that I'll scale, you know, 10 to 15 percent out of that piece just based on usually it's based on ATR uh, range expansion. So if a stock's trading in a low volatility range and then like, for example, this happened last uh, summer with Roku. So I got into Roku at 94 and that was on a pullback to the 50 day moving average. And I, I put the chart up when I did it. So I got into Roku at 94. I, I think I had a 12% stop, and I started I started down about six or seven dollars. But then Roku started to go straight up. It started to get a little bit parabolic. So what would happen is I scaled out probably three or four times, I think, along the way, because every time it would make one of these large volume spikes and the ATR would spike. You know, you never know, is that spike going to be the final spike or does it keep going? So what I found is if I take a little bit off and hit the cash register, but still keep the core position in, what it allows me to do is I never know when the top is going to be. But what it allows me to do is scale some up on the way. It's increased my P&L, but it's also reduced the volatility in the accounts.
1: Yeah, for me, as an intraday futures trader, I have been someone who's been scaling in and out of positions really since the beginning. And and one of the things that I really like about scaling specifically about out of a trade is a question I get all the time. How do you hold on to winners longer? Well, I could say in my career holding on to a winner with a full position from beginning to end has maybe happened a handful of times. This is over 20 years in my sure. career. Um, I tend to hold, a fraction of that position to the final point that I think it can reach a lot easier on the brain and the body because I've scaled some off. I, I just feel for me when I scale back on a position that it helps me feel better about holding it. Uh, you know, and, and that's just for me psychologically. Everybody's different. A lot of people just feel... Just as good about holding a full position as a you know a smaller position, but for me, holding it throughout the day to a target that I think it can go allows me to deal with the volatility a lot better. And I just tend to sit back and watch. I mean, I know that you're trading on a much longer time frame, but do you find that that by scaling it helps you hold these positions longer?
0: One thousand percent. I, I I I couldn't agree with you more. And because what happens is if if it becomes an all or nothing proposition. And I got into some some things that became volatile. So I got into Bitcoin, uh, luckily, I think it was April or May. Whenever it went over 5000, I took the ETF GBTC and then it just started to go through the roof. And, and if I was in an all or nothing where I'm either going to sell all of it or keep all of it, I think I probably would have bailed out on the position much, much, much too soon and and i've got a few stocks that the same way like shopify is a core example if i had to make an all or nothing decision on these positions i I probably get it wrong a hundred percent of the time and then i i'd sell a position and then watch the stock go up another hundred points and ask myself you know where did i go wrong so by scaling to me scaling is is the best of all worlds because if if you scale a position today you've got a profit you take you take some off the table if the stock continues to go up, that's great. that's what you want it to do that's why you're still there and if for some reason you, you're lucky enough and you caught it near the top and it starts to head back down, well at least you've locked in some gains that are higher price and in, in either case it's going to increase your risk adjusted return so it's it's one of the best things that i've that I've implemented, and I've been doing it for about two years now, I guess and it's really helped me out:
1: yeah I, I mean it frees up. Capital for you as a trend follower, maybe another opportunity presents itself after you've done really well on one trade and also for both of us intraday and longer term like you, it frees up mental capital.
0: I couldn't tell you where the it, I couldn't tell you where the top is in any of these some of these names like like Apple I mean the strength in Apple and, and I don't have it I wish I did you can't have everything but the strength in Apple has really been surprising or you look at a name like Tesla. And it's just uh, I I don't think that, you know, nobody can really call the top consistently, but I'd I'd rather not. I think to me it would be just as bad to sell a stock at 200 and then watch it go to 400 without me. So I found by scaling, it it takes the pressure off me where I've got, okay, I hit the cash register, but I'm still in because I want to be in whenever the top finally hits. I want to say, yeah, I I was I held it at the top. I might have given some back on the way down. But to me. If you get, I look at NVIDIA uh, from years ago, I think the stock broke out at 25 and it went to 250 and I heard from friends and they would tell me, oh, wow, I sold, you know, I sold it at 30. If I had a stock that sold it at 30 and it went to 250, that would set me back emotionally, I think. So scaling really takes the pressure off.
1: A lot of what you're saying today tells me that you're a trend follower who made your strategy more personal to you.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I did.
1: Talk to us about how you did that. Because I, th- I think that there's a lot of people out there that really like trend following and will go and maybe read a book or do a webinar uh, and learn about the basics of trend following. I'm sure you started somewhere like that as well. Over oh. time, what are some of the things you did to help you make it more personal to you?
0: What what I've done, I constantly analyze my performance and I analyze my actions. And I'm always looking to, to tweak and make an, an improvement, but not a, a micromanaging improvement, but more of a, a robust improvement. So I don't want to look at a stock and say, wow, if I would have used the... 19 day moving average instead of the 32-day moving average i would have done better i don't mean things like that I'm, I'm looking for big picture structural process ideas and what the the biggest problem that I had with traditional trend following is the all-in all out so but what I do is I just I look at you know from experience what worked i'll look at a trade that I closed out and I'll say okay you know what What went right with this process and what maybe could I have done better with the process? So I'm looking to constantly make refinements. So I don't I would say that I am a trend following position trader more than just a pure trend follower, because if there's some pure, you know, older school trend followers listening to me right now, they're going to say, well, that's not trend following. But that, you know, to me, I just want to make the best risk adjusted returns for my personality and my process. And not worry about fitting into some style box.
1: Yeah, you just want to make money. <laughs> I, yeah. I
0: just, I just want to make money consistently and, and do it in a way that you know I feel very comfortable with with what I'm doing with the money.
1: It always amazes me when somebody calls somebody else out for how they make money in the market. I stood in the pit in the S and P pit and watched 500 people all trade differently. Not all of them made money, of course, but. No two traders were the same. No two traders are the same,
0: right? And that's that's where I think these black box, uh, you know, bot. You know, when A does this, you do B. I, I think if if the system and the trader's personality, because it's like you said, there are exceptional day traders, term traders. There's guys that are that are great. You know, counter trend. They can short the uptrends and, and buy the downtrends. But I'm horrible at that. So and and then if you gave them my system, it might not work for them. So I think that you know we have to be cognizant that there's there's a hundred different ways to make money and you just we just have to figure out what's the one that works best for us.
1: How would you classify your style of trading? Would you say you're systematic?
0: I wouldn't say I'm systematic, I'd say I'm rules based because I, I think systematic is more black box, you could just run a you could run a screener and it spits out a bunch of names and then you say, okay, I'm going to take those names. So I, I'm rules based and I'm a intermediate to longer term. I do have rules that I use. Uh, but I think systematic is more of, you know, like a trading algorithm or I run a screener five names come out and I take those five names and that's not exactly what I do. There, there is some, uh, you know,
1: override to what I do. Hey, everybody. I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. When you say you're rules-based, does that mean rules specific to the strategy or do you have you know, trading rules uh, involved in that as well, you know, going as far as saying, you know what, I don't trade on any indication that's maybe something during earnings or something like that. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Yeah, I've got, I've got, so I I have rules for what the markets are that I trade. What, you know, some rules might be like, I don't trade counter trend. I don't try to, you know, short these uptrends. I don't buy into downtrends. I don't trade off the news. But the only news that I look at, and people have asked me this before, I do pay attention to the Federal Reserve and, and in the real, you know, my favorite real world trader is Stanley Druckenmiller, and I've studied him a lot. And I think that the way that you, that you get successful is you study people that have been successful. If I wanted to be a football player, you know, I'd probably study Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or, or Drew Brees, somebody like that. So what I've learned from not only from you know, reading it, but from reality is that you don't want to fight the Federal Reserve. And Marty's why said that in his book, uh, Winning on Wall Street, I think that came out in the 80s. And Druckenmiller says the same thing. So I do pay attention to the Fed, but I don't pay attention to news. So one of my rules is I, I don't care about economic reports, the, the ISM or the jobs number or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I love all my friends on on, on uh, Bloomberg and the financial media, but I've just I turn off the TV entirely now. So I used to have the TV on in the daytime, but I'd have the sound off from time to time, and now I've just turned it off. So I've got you know I've got the radio on, you know I've got Spotify on through the day, uh, but you know that's one of my rules is not to pay attention to the news. I don't care what anybody's opinion is about anything. Uh, but you know as far as the other key rules, as far as markets that I trade what indicators I use and don't use. People will talk a lot about divergences and things like that. There's people that use it. it. It Zero value for me. So, you know, I just have rules. My rules are mostly exclusionary. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. And once I'm done, there's really only a few things that I can do, and it makes it easier.
1: What about instincts or emotions? it's been a big topic of conversation on this show and uh, on Twitter for me lately is sure, do people have, do traders trade with instincts? Of course, I I would say that every trader has to have some instincts, but I'm talking about emotions, uh, either or touch base on either.
0: Yeah. Everybody, every it's, I think it's impossible to eliminate emotions. Uh, I just think it's impossible. I think the only way that you can eliminate emotion is if you just run a pure, uh, you know, a systematic like an algorithm that does everything. You know, if the whole thing was automated and I press the button or you press the button and it screened these names and it said, OK, we're going to buy these and here's the position sizing. So I think I think emotion comes into play. And emotions used to be a very big problem for me because I had like like most people I used to over trade and I had severe FOMO probably in the first Five or six years that I traded and that's why I started to make rules because I I'd look at you know the market would go up 20 percent and I'd go down 20 percent this was you know 15 years ago and I'd say wow how did I do that so once I realized that I was pretty bad at the emotional side of it I just started to write things down I said okay I'm going to make a checklist and then and then the checklist became a rules basis and things like that so I don't I don't think that you can, well, I know that you can't, you cannot eliminate emotion. And I get it. Listen, when, when I bought, uh, you know, spy in December of, of 18, like the whole weekend, I was like, wow, this is, you know, what was like, this is just going to turn out pretty badly. Uh, you know, and then it turned, but yeah, there's times when I'll take a bigger position and I'll think about it for a second. And you look at the chart and say, wow, you know, this, this triple Q, is just going straight down, but you know, it hit my signal, so I'm gonna take it. But you know, I think there's a you know, there's always that little bit of self-doubt that comes up and, and where you doubt the system and you say, well I know that, you know, it meets these requirements, it's oversold into this moving average, but you know, that chart looks pretty bad. And then you'll but that's what stops report. You know, so you take the position, you size it upright. But yeah, emotions I do think that If I had to put a number on it, I think that I've gotten probably, you know, if I had to guess, I think I've gotten probably, you know, 80 or 90% of the emotion out of it. uh, If I had to guess, you know, there's no way that you can take it out 100%.
1: Last question before we get into rapid fire. I saw your tweet about best ideas from 2019. Give us one of your best trade ideas for 2020 that you're currently in, why you took the trade, where you think the trade can go, and where you're wrong in the trade.
0: It's a good question. So I'd say right now China Internet. So China Internet, and that would be the KWeb ETF, Alibaba, uh, JD.com, things like that. So that's a core market that I followed for a while, and I started to post Pretty heavily on that, I'd say mm, November, October, November of uh, of just a few months ago, when the 40-week moving average started to turn up, and a lot of these names, like the leaders, like Alibaba and JD, they started to firm up. And now KWEB, when I looked yesterday, was the top performing. I think I think the China Internet ETF is up 12% year to date, and Triple Q was up three or four percent. So. You know that's a market that I that I follow constantly, Uh, and then once it gave the signals, I think it tested right off the 40-week moving average a couple weeks ago, and that's my key. You know, my key indicator is that 40-week moving average. You know, the same as the 200-day. But that's a market right now uh, that the emerging markets have been firm all year. The dollars backed off a little bit, and E E M and K Web and East China Internet are very, very strong. And I think that's a market that, if this move keeps going, I think that could have a uh, that could have a, a pretty big year. Uh,
1: so that, I'd say that one right now. Thank you for sharing that with us, Lair. We've got rapid fire questions next. If you're ready for those, I'm ready. All right, everybody, our rapid-fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You can try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Lair, first question for you. What trader has influenced your life the most and why?
0: By far, and that's a great question, by far and away that would be Jesse Livermore. And I've posted his book online quite a lot. But when I read I read the story of Jesse Livermore, it really changed my entire aspect of the trading because I, I think I was on my way to being out of trading because I, I just couldn't figure it out. And I thought that I had to trade every day and I had to watch the news all the time. And when I read his book and just the general concepts that the big money was in the big swing – that you don't make money jumping in and out of positions from day to day, it just really, it was like a relief. I said, wow, so I don't have to do, you know, all that stuff that I'm really bad at. This guy who made millions, I mean, he was one of the best traders of his time or, or ever, you know, from a dollars and cents perspective, he's saying I don't have to do all that. And it, it was, that's what gave me my rebirth uh, into trading.
1: What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in trading?
0: Definitely overtrading, overtrading and FOMO. And I used to, you know, you, you look at these charts and it's like the Pandora's box and and I'd have a position and then I'd look at the next chart and I'd say, well, that chart looks great. And then I'd take that one and then, you know, I'd, I'd wind up having a uh, a mixed bag and then I'd sell, I'd have to sell stock A to buy stock B because it looked better today. And then stock B went down and then stock A doubled. So that that took me some time to uh, to get control over myself to, you know, to where I'm at the point now where I've got my process. And if something fits the process, then I can look at it further. And if it doesn't fit the process, but I, I've become very exclusionary. So you could, you know, so a friend could reach out to me and say, this is the best chart ever. This this is an uptrend and it's guaranteed to go down tomorrow. And I think you should short it. And I'm just going to hang up the phone.
1: What is one attribute you believe every trader should have?
0: Definitely beyond the shadow of a doubt, I would say self-actualization. A trader has to know who they are and why they're in the markets. And, and trading is anywhere from 60% to 100% mental. And, and somebody could hand you the greatest system in the world. If, if you can't follow the rules or stay, uh, you know, emotionally disciplined, then it's not going to work. But I think that a lot of people, and I read this in a book somewhere, but I think that a lot of people that are trading, like some people are actually trading to make money as a profession, you know, to support their family and, and do whatever they want to do financially. And I think some people trade just because they like that thrill. It's like going to, uh, you know, the horse track or the blackjack table. And I think, that a trader needs to figure out why are they doing this and uh, and be sure that the reason that they're trading is, is in line with, you know, profitable trading and not just trading just to have fun.
1: If you had to pick a profession other than trading, what would it be?
0: Anything that gave me freedom. So I would say anything that would allow me to travel the world with my family. Maybe, uh, I don't know, a photographer or something, you know, Something where I didn't have to, you know, hit a time clock every day or, or, you know, just something where I could be free, uh, and and traveling the world with my family.
1: If you had to give a piece of advice to the younger you, what would it be?
0: That's a really good one. Do do less of everything. I would say, I used to say do 50% less. I probably say do 80% less. So my typical day used to look like, uh, You know, on a weekend, I'd start Friday at at 430 and I'd stop Sunday at 1230 and read, you know, the Financial Times, everything I could find, research everything on the Internet. And, you know, I would say just look at look at less trade, less, less charts, less indicators, just less of everything. Just be as minimalistic as possible.
1: If you had an elevator pitch me your edge in trading, what would you say?
0: I would I would say to you that my edge is I'm trading the exact right process and the exact right system for who I am and and my personality. And and I feel like we can always do better because you never reach the top. But I feel like that that my trading, my process and my psychology are all in line with each other. And and I feel that that's my edge is that I'm trading exactly the way that I want to trade based on what works for me.
1: Last question for today, Lair. favorite thing to do when you're not trading
0: anything with my children. My, my kids are great. I've got a, I've got two children and a, and a stepson and anything that I can do with them because, you know, we've got a very serious job. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm self-employed and I'm probably working. I'd say, you know, realistically it's a, you know, you know, it's a 12 to 16 hour day. So anything that I can do, especially on the weekends with the kids where we can just go out and I don't look at my phone and anything like that. But you know, anything fun with the kids is great.
1: Larry, where can people find you on Twitter and give us a website to check out?
0: Great. So on Twitter, my, my Twitter handle is at L M T nine, seven, eight, which is my initials and my old area code. I just, I figured that would be a good handle at the time. <laughs> and then my and then my website is bluechipdaily.com.
1: Talk to us a little bit about that website. What can people find when they're there?
0: I've got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you asked because I'm, I'm really happy with the website. I'm happy that it, it came out. What they'll find on the website is they'll find there's some free content and then there's some premium content, obviously, for the members. But basically, what they'll find is some of my better ideas... Uh, some of my better recent ideas, I do a lot of blogging. Uh, I put up a blog yesterday about my top three value stock ideas right now. And, I'm, and I'm, one thing that you'll notice about me is that I'll, I'll talk to you about Bitcoin, Shopify and and General Electric. You know, so it might seem like a diverse basket, but they all fit in there for a reason. But they'll find some some blogs that I've written uh, that are educational and then some trade ideas.
1: What can I say, LT? It's always great to speak with you. Let's not have it be this long next time in between conversations. Uh, It's always fun to pick your brain. Great insight. Thank you again so much for coming on Futures Radio Show today. Anthony,
0: it's my pleasure. We definitely can't make it three years again. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.